Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Tryon. I'm Jeff Harris. I'm the pastor here at First Baptist, and I'm grateful for you joining us today. I must say, podcast might be a bit of a stretch because really this is our weekly sermon, and I'm grateful that you've taken the time to listen to this week's sermon. I will give one word of warning, though, especially to those of you who are driving. Sermons um, from time to time tend to put people to sleep, so if you're driving, be real careful. We don't want you to fall asleep, because we'd love to have you tune in next week. (laughs) I hope you enjoy this week's sermon, although enjoy is really not the intended outcome of a sermon, but I am grateful that you took the time to listen, and I hope you have a great week. I'll catch you next week. of Christ be with you. We welcome you to First Baptist Church. We are grateful for your presence here, whether it is in person or on Zoom or YouTube Live. We are grateful that we can join our hearts together and worship God. And if you are a guest here with us, we hope that you will feel at home in our worship. And more important than that, we hope that you will feel connected to God in the midst of this time of worship. One thing that we're going to do differently this week, and probably for the next couple of weeks, while we're kind of in the midst of this really strong surge here, we're going to dial back the congregational singing. Um, we just have, we feel like that's probably not the best thing to do right now. So um, you'll get instructions about that as the hymns are done. Our, our choir will kind of be leading in the hymns, and, and we'll invite you to follow along with those and to meditate on those words. and. You can do like me, and you can just sing in your heart. It sounds really nice when I sing in my heart. I'm usually on key, um, you know, usually, not always, but it is good to be together. Let us take a deep breath. Let us settle in. Let us ready ourselves for the worship of God. We follow Christ. We follow Christ. We follow Christ. Come, let us worship our Creator. Thank you. 
All hail the name of Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, as we gather in your presence today to worship, we humbly seek your Holy Spirit to guide us. We acknowledge that we humbly seek your presence. We're broken, hearts are heavy, there is grief, there is strife. And yet, Father, there is hope, hope through you. As we worship today, help us to seek you, to trust you, and to discern your purpose for our lives. And in the words of St. Francis, Lord, make us an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O oh, divine master, in your holy name we ask. Amen. Have you ever uh, stopped to think about what purpose music serves in worship? Think about it for just a few seconds. Does it serve uh, an emotional purpose, a relational purpose, an intellectual purpose? All of those. Music is the way that we can, uh, we can uh, meditate on, on something that's meaningful and put put it in our hearts and, and make a plan to act on it. Music is a way we can, uh, like when Leslie was playing her beautiful rendition of I'll Hail the Power of Jesus' Name, I really just wanted to get up and shout. It was such a moving and uplifting experience. So there's one thing that we sometimes are guilty of in, when we use our music is putting our minds in autopilot. Have you ever been riding down the highway and said, have I passed Spartanburg yet? You know, well, maybe I'm the only one that does that. We, but sometimes something we do that's so familiar, we realize we're finished now, but we don't know where we were and what we did because we were just kind of going through the motions. So today, when you are not purposefully singing, you're going to be able to meditate on the words and follow along. And on the last hymn, we... We will not be singing it at all. I will read you the words of the hymn, and I want you to follow along with it in the hymn book, the last word. So just don't, just take this new opportunity to really think about what you're singing and what it means, and, um, and give thanks to God in the process. And I appreciate the way y'all have entered this spirit, that we had to make a lot of changes, and you have really been a wonderful group of people to work with, and you have too. Thank you. We're going to sing Amazing Grace. The choir is, and I want you all to remain seated and just follow along.
Our responsive reading today is Psalms 1, uh, Psalms 116, 1 through 9. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dwelt bountifully with you.
Our gospel reading this morning is from Mark 8, verses 27 through 38. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priest, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said this all quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what the, can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of them, the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The word of the Lord.
A reading from James 3, 1 through 12. Now many of you should, not be, should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we, will we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for all of us make many mistakes. Anyone who makes no mistakes in speaking is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check with a bridle. But we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us. We guide their whole bodies. Or look at ships, though they are so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the wheel of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, sets on fire the cycle of nature, and is itself set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creatures can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species, but no one can tame the tongue, a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless the Lord and Father, and with it, we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and brashish water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield olives or a grapevine figs? No more can salt water yield fresh. The word of the Lord. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words 
will never hurt me. Eh, I don't know about that, right? I mean, that might be just a little bit of a stretch to say that words will never hurt me. Never? <laughs> to be honest with you, that's one of the most difficult aspects of, of preaching. <laughs> is to stand here week in and week out and to talk, to engage in what hopefully isn't just a monologue. A sermon should be a dialogue. Now, it is a one-sided conversation, obviously. I'm the one who's doing the talking, but hopefully it's not really a monologue. Hopefully we're having dialogue because the preacher's job isn't just to speak to you it's to speak with you and to speak for you and and you want to say things that are encouraging and you also want to say things that are challenging that's the old adage right that the job of the preacher is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable that's that's what I'm called to do and, and the truth is, you can work really hard to say things in just the right way. But you never know how the words are actually heard. I mean, there's several different approaches to how you communicate those kinds of things. Fred Craddock said it's best to sneak up on people. You don't really address them directly, you address them indirectly, and you can sneak up on them with the truth. But even when you try and do that well, or even when you're just really clear and you're direct, you just never know exactly what will be heard, because the sermon that is preached is often not the one that is heard. And some days that's really good news, right? That the Spirit intervenes, and out of the mess that gets mumbled from me, you hear something worth hearing. But, but that, that, that requires a, a significant amount of trust. Trust in God and, and, and trust in you. Trust that the congregation will be generous in their hearing. Because in so many ways, the culture in which we live isn't generous at all with how they hear you these days. You say the wrong thing and you're, that's it. We're going to cut you off. You're done. You're over. And yet, here, for this to work, it requires your generosity, for which I am grateful. And then, just as you get to feeling good about this whole thing, right, you think, okay, well, we can be generous with each other, and, 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 and it can work. And then James comes around with these very encouraging words, and he says, not many of you should become teachers. <laughs> not many of you should become teachers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. They, they usually don't have that conversation with you when you're uh, visiting seminaries. You're coming to visit. That, that, that probably the first thing they probably tell you to you is to read this. Not many of you should do this. <laughs> it's probably a bad idea for you. See if there's something else you can do. Teachers, teachers do a variety of things. But the one thing that we teachers do a lot of is talking. That's what we do. 
I mean, in, I've heard it put this way, in fact. Uh, I heard a minister ask, they said, well, what do you do for a living? And the minister replied, well, I talk about God for a living. Which doesn't just mean that they preach on Sunday mornings about God, but really and truly, that's, kind of, that's what I do. I talk about God for a living, whether it's here, whether it's in conversations elsewhere, whether it's whatever we're doing, that is always the subtext. And James is very clear about how cautious we should be in our talking. That we should be very careful. Because even though the tongue, he says, is this small member, it, it boasts of great exploits. A little fire, he says, can destroy an entire forest. And that is how it works, right? It's just a spark. And then it grows, and then it grows, and then the next thing you know, there's this whole forest that's on fire. And he, and he gives us this analogy of a horse, which is a right big animal with a mind of its own. And what do you do? Well, you put a little bit in the mouth, and then you can control the whole thing. And then, and then, this, and then this image of a ship. Takes a lot of wind to move that ship around. Takes a lot of energy and a lot of force, but all you need is just a little bit of a rudder and you can totally change course. The tongue is powerful. Every species of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, they, all of these can be tamed and have been tamed, he says, but no one no one, which is a fairly uh, inclusive way to say that, no one, all of us, every one of us, none of us has ever been able to tame the tongue, a restless evil full of deadly poison. <laughs> but other than that, you know, hey, we're, we're great. And we, we perform double speak, duplicitous speech. Out of one side of the mouth, we praise God. Out of the other side, we, we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. So, so there is this coming from the same mouth. There is blessing and there is cursing. And truthfully, if a preacher were to stay with this text for too long and wrestled with it for too long, I don't know that I'd ever say anything again from the pulpit. I was sort of waiting for an amen there. I thought somebody might give me one. Um, and you know, the truth is, sometimes that's not bad advice. Sometimes, and I've thought about doing this, I've never actually done it, because most people will just think you didn't do your sermon for the week, but... There, there, there's a text every once in a while that you read that is so clear and so profound that to add anything to it is actually to take away from it. And on occasion, I have thought about just reading the text and just sitting down and being quiet. And that, that can be helpful. But... Truth is, you're not Quakers, and um, you probably would. That might work one Sunday, right? But 
If I did that three or four in a row, I'd probably be in trouble. And yet there are times we know, we know we shouldn't just be quiet. I do this. I know I should not say this. In fact, sometimes I have prefaced it. You know what? I really shouldn't say this. And then what do I do? I go on and say it. As if, as if somehow <laughs> me prefacing that way makes it okay. It actually makes it worse. I've had time to think about it. No, I shouldn't say it and still say it. That, that really never works out well. But, but the truth is, you can't always be silent. Sometimes we should be. <laughs> but, but sometimes you cannot be silent. Another way to say that is, it's not okay to talk about nothing. Sometimes we preachers do that too. And by talk about nothing, I mean sometimes we want to offer words that are so mild and words that are so irrelevant about the world that we live in, we think we could offer up words in which no one could ever take offense. And so we just mealy mouth. But that's not possible. And that's really not the calling. It's not our calling. Because the truth is, there are times when things need to be said. When we need to speak the truth. Now, one example of this is the Jubilee year. If you remember the Jubilee year, it's a Sabbath of Sabbaths. And in the Jubilee, debts are forgiven. They're just wiped away. Prisoners are set free. Property is returned to its original owners. I mean, it is radical, this idea of Jubilee. And the truth is we have little evidence that it actually ever happened. But, but Barbara Brown Taylor said about that, she said, that's okay. Sometimes God says things just for the record. <laughs> Sometimes God says things knowing we're probably never going to do them, but you should know just for the record, this is how it ought to be. And so sometimes we do have to speak in those ways. That even if, even if we know that our words are going to fall flat, because, hey, it's easier to sneak up on someone, right? But even, even if we know they're going to fall flat, even if we know the words are going to be hard to hear for some people, the truth is worth telling. So on the one hand, right, you've got to really watch it. Be careful, out of the same mouth comes the blessing and the cursing. And on the other hand, sometimes you just have to tell the truth. And so what do you do? How do you judge this? How do you know what to say and what not to say? Well, one way that you evaluate it is intent. Intent. What is the intent of your words? If, 
if my intent is to injure or to harm or to just get back at someone, to just curse someone, well, that's, that's problematic. That is the kind of speech that followers of Jesus should not engage in. That's the very thing James is telling us, uh-uh. That's not how we speak. James is saying that our intent should always be to bless. Even when the words are hard, even when the truth is going to be really difficult to swallow, the intent should be one of blessing. We don't say hard things or difficult things as a way to get back at someone or as a way to tear someone down, but we do it as a way to lead them into the truth. And, and here's where we have to be really careful and here's where we have to be really honest with ourselves. Because we can, if we're not careful, we can use that as an excuse all the time. Well, I'm really just trying to lead them into the truth. I'm really just, tr I'm really just trying to help them. You know and I know our intent. We do, if we're honest with each other. Is our intent to bless or is it to curse? Todd Steele, who's a New Testament scholar and also the dean at the Baylor, at the Divinity School there at Baylor, he says that you can sum up all of James' moral vision in this way, the whole thing. He says that if a person is capable of taming one's tongue, they are capable of taming one's entire life. That that's really what James is saying. There, there are 148 verses in James if you count them all up. And 46 of those verses have something to do with talking, with speech. If we can learn to control what we say, we can learn to control all of our other behaviors. Now, I know that in our culture, we, 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 we often say things like, talk is cheap. Actions speak louder than words. But, but James is very clear that talk is action, that what we say is action. And he's also very clear that our words can harm or they can heal, that our words can bless or they can curse. So maybe, maybe, maybe the insight is that the key to controlling ourselves is actually controlling this. My tongue, what I say. May we speak words of blessing. Amen.
I don't need to remind you uh, that yesterday was the 20th anniversary of uh, 9-11. I know, that's, I'm sure it's been in your minds and been carrying around some of those memories with you. I, I know we all remember where we were when that happened. I remember walking to work that morning. I, I was um, just starting a chaplain residency at Baptist Hospital in Winston-Salem, and I remember I just lived a couple blocks from the hospital, and it was like the first hint of fall that day. You could just feel the, there was a coolness in the air. The sky was just really clear. It was such a beautiful morning, and, and then um, such a terrible morning, such a horrible morning. I don't know if you uh, watched the um, speech that uh, former President Bush gave in Shanksville, Pennsylvania yesterday, but if you didn't see that, I would encourage you to. Um, and, and, and it was all, the whole thing was powerful, but, but these words really struck me from that speech. And while he was talking about 9-11, um, you could also use these words to think about the current moment that we're in. He said, many of us have tried to make spiritual sense of these events. There is no simple explanation for the mix of providence and human will that sets, that sets the direction of our lives. Just, just hear that phrase one more time. There is no simple explanation for the mix of providence and human will that sets the direction of our lives. But comfort can come from a different sort of knowledge. After wandering in the dark, many have found that they were actually walking step by step toward grace. After wandering in the dark, many have found that they were actually walking step by step toward grace. Let us pray. Let us first be silent and still, and then I will offer a spoken prayer. Oh Lord, it is hard for us to wrap our heads around the evil of which human beings are capable. It is hard for us to wrap our heads around the evil that bruise even within our own hearts. There is that part of us, O oh Lord, that wants to bless, and there is that part of us, O oh Lord, that wants to curse.
And we know, we know, Lord, there's only one of those ways that leads to life. Help us to choose the right way. And if we're honest, O oh Lord, we look around and we try to make sense of human suffering and we just, we just don't understand. That strange mix of providence and human will, we just, we don't really understand how all that works. So help us not to settle for simple explanations. Help us not to trivialize suffering and sickness and death and loss. And at the very same time, help us to not minimize the beauty and the mercy and the love that is all around us. This is the world that we live in, O oh Lord. And it is the world that you've created, a world that you looked out on and called good, a world that you so deeply love that you, you came among us to show us your intent to show us your intentions for the whole world. Show us how to love each other and how to forgive each other. You showed us how to tell the truth in a way to bless the world, not to curse it. Help us, O oh Lord, so that we might be able to live in those ways. Help us to resist the urges that take us in another direction. Oh Lord, we pray for healing and for hope for this world. And we pray for healing and for hope, especially for these who we name aloud. I invite you here in the sanctuary to offer those names aloud. And those of you at home on Zoom, if you have names to offer, you may unmute yourself and offer them aloud. David Bauman. Be with all of the ones we have named, O Lord, and ones left unnamed and ones unknown. May your spirit sustain them in these hard days. 
And now I invite you at home to unmute yourselves and to join us as we pray in the way that Christ has taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, Father, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. Come. Thy kingdom come. Thine is the kingdom, the kingdom, the power, and the glory and follow these words as I read them. It's a beautiful poem, and it's, it's got a lot of insight into world peace that we, that we need to pay attention to. This is my song, O God of all the nations, a song of peace for lands afar and for mine. This is my home, the country where my heart is. Here are my hopes, my dreams, my holy shrines. But other hearts in other lands are beating with hopes and dreams as true and high as mine. My country's skies are bluer than the ocean, and sunlight beams on cloverleaf and pine. But other lands have sunlight too, and clover, and skies are everywhere as blue as mine. Oh, hear my song, thou God of all the nations, a song of peace for their land and for mine. This is my prayer. O ruler of all nations, let thy reign come on earth and thy will be done. In peace may all lands, all earth's people draw together and hearts united learn to live as one. O hear my prayer, thou God of all the nations. Myself I give thee, let thy will be done. It has been good to worship with you together. It's good to see those of you who are here and those joining us from home. May we take God's love from this place. And may we take it into a world in desperate need of love. Let us stand. May you go in peace 
to love and serve the Lord. And as you go, remember who you are. You are disciples of Jesus, our Lord and our brother, children of Almighty God, bound together as brothers and sisters through the Spirit. You are the very body of Christ. So may you serve the Lord with gladness all your days. Amen.